What if I was to tell you that you're being taken advantage of? There's many companies in the public markets right now that are taking advantage of you. They're taking advantage of investors in general, and they're relying on you to be ignorant in order to take advantage of you. These companies have nice logos, they look nice and friendly, but they're really wolves. They're predators, and they view you as sheep. Now you might say, Joseph, that's too dramatic. That doesn't make sense. There's not really companies out there taking advantage of us, or the SEC would protect us. There'd be some government body protecting us. Well, unfortunately, this isn't too dramatic and this isn't fake. There are companies that are taking advantage of investors to a huge extent, and I'm going to explain it. I'm going to explain how they're able to do this. A lot of us hold many of the same investments. There's really not that many great companies in the world. So a lot of us end up being invested in companies like Pepsi, Nike, Costco, Disney. We're invested in big tech companies like Apple, Microsoft, Google, Meta, Tesla, and so on and so forth. We might have our slight differences, but we hold a lot of the same companies. Well, a lot of these companies have been on a hiring spree over the past couple of years. Meta is one of them, and they're now starting to go in the reverse direction. They just announced on Sunday evening that they're going to be doing layoffs. Meta Platforms is planning to begin large-scale layoffs this week, according to people familiar with the matter, in what could be the largest round in a recent spat of tech job cuts after the industry's rapid growth during the pandemic. That's right. Ever since the pandemic, these companies could not hire enough employees. There was no number too high. They say the layoffs are expected to affect many thousands of employees, and an announcement is planned to come as soon as Wednesday. According to the People, Meta reported more than 87,000 employees at the end of September. Company officials already told employees to cancel non-essential travel beginning this week. So the rumors are they're talking this up like it's going to be a massive amount of jobs. We don't know yet. They say several thousands, but we just don't know the extent of it. They could fire 10,000 and still have 77,000 employees. That's still a lot. So the amount that they could feasibly cut back is substantial. Now, this issue of overhiring is not something unique to Meta. But right now, Meta's the first of the big tech companies, I think, that's willing to admit that they went overboard. They're the first one willing to admit they made a mistake. When we look at the overall landscape of some of the big tech companies, we see that this is not a problem that Meta has uniquely. Other companies are doing the same thing. Look at this screenshot from CNBC just today showing the amount of new additional employees since 2019 for these different companies. When I look at this, I see Apple as really the only reasonable company here. Their employee count went up 20% since 2019. Now, Apple's also grown since 2019, so I would expect their company to increase in size to some extent, but 20% seems reasonable. Apple has good governance. They have good hiring practices. They seem to have good discipline with spending. So Apple has actually moderate growth, reasonable growth. Microsoft increased their employee count by 53%. I think Microsoft is also a pretty disciplined company, but I still will concede that that is a huge increase in headcount over just a three-year period. But then it gets even worse. Alphabet increased theirs by 57%. That's a whole lot, especially considering that Alphabet already has a lot of employees, but Alphabet is not even near the biggest problem. Meta has increased their employee count by 94%. They've doubled it. 
since 2019. And then finally, we get to Amazon that barely beats out Meta with a 102% employee increase. Now, from an investment perspective, you might view it as a good thing that these companies have more employees and they're building more products, but this can come with a real downside for the investor. And that downside in many cases is in the form of stock-based compensation. Stock-based compensation is part of many employees' overall compensation packages. It's a way of paying employees, executives, and directors of the company with equity in the business. So this form of payment is not by cash. It's not a salary where you pay them money every two weeks. This is in the form of stock. The company issues more shares to pay the employees. Stock-based compensation has its benefits. It's typically used to motivate employees beyond their regular cash-based compensation and to align their interests with those of the company's shareholders. So there is this stated upside by many companies that stock-based compensation is really a good thing because it helps attract talent to work at your company and it aligns the interests of the company's employees with the shareholders. That's a statement these companies make, but I don't really agree with it in many cases. For example, you could easily motivate the employees by simply paying them a higher salary. If you doubled their salary, that would also highly motivate them. And if you want to align the interests of the employees with the shareholders, then you simply give them bonuses in cash if they meet certain metrics. That aligns their interests quite well. But what is the big difference here? Why do companies like to motivate their employees with stock rather than motivating them with cash? Because on the earnings report, when they report their cash flows, stock-based compensation doesn't really show up. It is not cash. It's not money being paid out. Instead, it's dilution. In my previous episode, I talked about dilution and I referenced Vici as an example of good dilution. This company dilutes you in order to buy more properties. They sell shares and then they use that capital raised to give out loans and to buy more real estate. That's a good example of dilution being used in the benefit of the shareholder. But Vici is unique, and in most cases, dilution is not a good thing for the shareholder. Every time a company hires a new employee that's paid in part by stock-based compensation, what they're doing is paying that employee with stock, diluting your shares that you currently own. When you hire a lot of employees that are paid heavily by stock-based compensation, that can have a massive effect. Now, I can give a couple specific examples here to highlight the problem. We can look at Home Depot using Qualtrum Insight. This website is one that I built for Patreon members. So if you want to try it out for free, check out the Patreon. Now, what I did was I recently added in a new chart to Qualtrum Insights. We have the free cash flow here that we've had for a long time. We can see that Home Depot, for example, is really good at growing their free cash flow over time. On a year-over-year -year basis, it basically only goes up. This is an incredibly well-ran company. But what I did was added in this new tab here that says, and stock-based compensation. This chart shows you the free cash flow in orange, but it also shows you this nice little purple bar here. This is the amount of stock-based compensation this company has done year over year. And we can see that Home Depot generates far more free cash flow than their stock-based compensation. For example, in 2021, they generated $16.38 billion in free cash flow, and they only paid employees $310 million in stock-based compensation. So the free cash flow that Home Depot generates is real free cash flow, money that the investor gets in the form of dividends and buybacks. And when you look at Home Depot's record, it clearly shows that that's where most of the money goes. 
They pay a dividend. The dividend grows like crazy. Over the past 10 years, it's grown at 20% per year. The shares outstanding have also gone down rapidly over the past decade because Home Depot has a lot of free cash flow to be able to buy back shares. So this is a company that generates an excessive amount of free cash flow over its stock-based compensation. Because Home Depot hires mostly retail workers, workers that work in their warehouses, they don't really have to incentivize them with high levels of stock-based compensation. They might get a little bit, but it's not nearly as much as some other companies. The problem of dilution and stock-based compensation really starts to take hold when you get into the tech companies. These are the ones that require a lot more engineers, highly trained professionals that demand much higher salaries and in many cases, that SBC. Adobe is the first example we can look at here. If we look at Adobe's free cash flow here, this likewise has incredible growth over the past 10 years. In fact, Adobe is one of the fastest free cash flow growing companies in the market. Now, if we switch over to the stock-based compensation part, you'll see that Adobe has to pay employees that SBC at a much higher level than Home Depot. They have lots of engineers and they have lots of graphic designers and lots of marketers and people that work for this company that demand that compensation package. So in 2021, Adobe paid $1 billion in stock-based compensation, but it's still not bad because their free cash flow is so much higher. It was $6.88 billion in the same year. Adobe's not so bad, but let's go ahead and look at some other companies here. We have Salesforce. This one's growing its free cash flow at a very rapid pace, but we add in the stock-based compensation and it highlights a glaring problem. Investors might assume when they look at the graph of just the cash flows, that they're able to keep all of this money for themselves, that it's going to be returned to them in the form of share buybacks or dividends. But that's simply not true. When we factor in the stock-based compensation and the amount of dilution that has to happen to pay these employees, it eats up 50% of the free cash flows. In 2021, they did $4.09 billion in free cash flow and stock-based compensation was 2.19. Another way of putting this is if they instead paid all of their employees with just cash instead of diluting the shareholder, they would have only generated half the free cash flows that's being reported on the cash flow statements. That's how big of an impact stock-based compensation in this case is having on the investment. It's eroding their true profitability by half. And after seeing that, it becomes clear how this company struggles to pay a dividend. It's not a dividend payer and it's having its shares outstanding going up quarter after quarter. We have companies like Snapchat. If we look at this chart, their cash flows are really negative most of the time, but their stock-based compensation is always positive. They're issuing more shares quarter after quarter, and so far they've never actually had a quarter where their cash flows exceeded their employee comp. Twilio has the same problem. The cash flows are going down and the stock-based compensation is going up. Last quarter, they generated minus $118 million in free cash flow and they paid their employees $208 million in stock. How does the investor fit into this scenario that benefits the employee and takes away from the shareholder? Well, you can see at a glance, Twilio is down 84% year to date. Since 2018, the company's only up 48%. And at the rate this company's going, it'll be in the red all time pretty soon. We can look at Atlassian. It generates free cash flows that grow quarter over quarter. But again, you factor in the stock-based compensation and the employees are taking half of this when you factor in dilution. Last year, they generated $800 million in free cash flow and the employees got $385 million. There's no easier way to say this than this is bad. It's bad when companies that exist in the public markets that are taking investors' capital that in many cases are naive to what's happening, they're taking investors' money and funneling it to employees and executives of the company at the detriment of the investor. And you can see the result of companies like this. They have no money to give the investor. They're not paying dividends. 
They won't be able to pay a growing dividend over time. People might make fun of dividend investing, but at the end of the day, to be able to actually pay a growing dividend, you need to generate real growing cash flows. That's part of the reason I really like dividend paying companies. But not only are these companies not paying a dividend, they're also not able to do share buybacks. In fact, it goes the opposite direction because the employees need more and more shares every single quarter. This is a bad problem in 2022. It's only getting worse. But this isn't a problem that's new. In fact, this exact type of scenario has existed in the public markets for over 20 years. Here's a shareholder letter that Michael Burry wrote way back in April 3rd of 2001. Dear fellow members, he talks about the performance of his fund and how it's beating the market and things are going pretty good. But then he gets into a section here that's quite interesting. He has a section called where value isn't. Now keep in mind, the time period that Michael Burry wrote this in 2001 was right after the dot-com bubble collapsed and it was still in the process of collapsing. So this is Michael Burry's thoughts that I think are very similar to current day. He says where value isn't. With many large cap technology stocks falling out of favor, one might be tempted to jump into the fray and find the bottom. This is all well and good, but there's a flaw at the first assumption here. All stocks, including technology stocks, must find a floor in terms of fundamental value and expected return to the stockholder before they find an era-defining floor in price. In most, all cases, the floor will be much lower than popular opinion might indicate, and much lower than the fair value. Investors ought to take care to be coldly realistic with their appraisals. Now, we've seen that same thing happen before. Many investors piled money into these tech companies only after they dropped 30 or 40%, and then they continued to drop an additional 50, 60% afterwards. But here's where things get interesting. Michael Burry continues on after giving this general warning to be far more specific, and he highlights again something that I think is wholly applicable to today's current situation. He says, following is an outline of the problem that a lot of technology-related companies face. What is the problem all these tech companies face that makes their stock in general overvalued? Unlike nearly every other industry, technology companies, as they are generally grouped these days, compensate their employees in a manner that hides much of the expense of the compensation from the income statement. Of course, the subject here is options compensation. This is another way of saying stock-based compensation. Now, Burry continues on giving a biting rebuke of technology companies, the type that existed in 2000, which many of the same type of companies exist today. He says many and probably most technology companies are therefore private companies in the public domain. He's saying they're basically just privately ran companies that are using investors' capital. They're existing for themselves, not for the shareholder owners. And of course, it is a shell game. A prolonged depressed stock price, for whatever reason, including a bear market, would cause a lot of the options to become worthless and would likely require the company to either start paying more in salary or, often worse, to start repricing the options at lower prices. This is exactly what's happening with many companies today. As the stock prices drop, employees of the company, their compensation is going down. So they're upset and they're demanding that their salaries go up or their stock options get repriced. And that's at further detriment of the shareholder. Even if neither action is taken, operating cash flow takes a hit. And he concludes his thoughts saying, in truth, this type of activity might be expected from companies that were often created with the help of venture capitalists who viewed the public shareholders as an exit strategy, not as a group that deserves to benefit from improving company results and prospects. The significant implication here is that shareholders 
cannot count on these sorts of companies for proper corporate governance. They have demonstrated that they will ask shareholders to bear the burden during the good times, and they will reprice options during the bad times, thereby taking from the shareholders both on the way up and on the way down. This is a blistering rebuke of these companies in 2001. And in my opinion, when I look at the definition of what he's defining here, the big problem it is so applicable to so many companies in the market today. There's many companies that want shareholders to bear the burden during the good times and they will reprice the options during the bad times. The shareholder gets taken advantage of both on the upside and the downside. Who really stands to benefit with these type of companies? Who's actually getting a reward here? Well, we can take a look. Palantir is an example, down 12% after their earnings report today with worse than expected Q3 results. The stock price is down 57% year to date. All time, it's down 17%. Investors haven't done well in this stock. That's an easy way of putting it. But again, who benefits with this type of company? If we switch over and look at the stock-based compensation, we can easily see who benefits from this type of company. Every single quarter, they're paying over $100 million to employees based on stock-based compensation. Then this quarter, we have this massive payout, $846 million in 2020. This was, of course, when the CEO of the company, Alex Karp, got a $1.1 billion payout. That's more than the total revenue of the company. So he's incredibly, incredibly rich while his fellow shareholders have not made any money. In fact, they're suffering losses. We can use Snapchat as an example. The company's down 80% year to date. All time, it's down 63%. No investor has made a dime in this stock unless they luckily time the volatility of it. But most investors are in the red by a wide margin. Who's benefiting from Snapchat? Well, of course, the insiders are. Employees of the company and executives of the company. And there's these massive payouts where a lot of people got their stock-based compensation. Evan Spiegel's worth a cool $2.5 billion for IPOing a company that so far has only lost investors money. And these aren't the only examples. I don't mean to pick on Snapchat or Twilio or Palantir. These companies are a dime a dozen. There's hundreds of them, thousands of them in the stock market right now where the insiders and executives are benefiting to a huge degree at the expense of the shareholder. So when we look way back at what Michael Burry wrote back in 2001, you can ask yourself, are these companies the same as they were back then? Technology companies that are therefore private companies in the public domain, existing for themselves, not for their shareholder owners. When I look at many of these companies, I still think that's exactly the case. Now let's say that you're one of the investors that have intelligently avoided all of these technology companies. You're not invested in the Twilio's, you're not invested in the Snapchats or Palantir's or the Atlassian's or any of these type of smaller tech companies that have high amounts of stock-based compensation and low amounts of free cash flow. Are you in the clear or are you still being taken advantage of? Well, it might be easy to avoid those type of companies, but it's very difficult to avoid all of big tech. They make up a huge portion of the overall stock market. And the problem still exists here. We have the amount of employee headcount increase since 2019. And like we've seen, many of these companies increase their headcount to a substantial portion. We can start off with Apple here. This is one of my largest holdings. And I think this company has better governance, better management than most companies. When we add in stock-based compensation for Apple, it's actually not that bad. It's not that much of their free cash flow. For example, in 2021, they did $92 billion almost 93 in free cash flow, and they only paid $7.9 billion in stock-based compensation. So less than 10% of their free cash flow was diluted by SBC. That's not bad at all. This is a company that routinely returns a huge majority of its cash flows back to the investors. Microsoft is the next one. 
This company hired a lot more employees. They increased their headcount by 53%. Their free cash flow has grown substantially since 2019. When we add in stock-based compensation, it still looks really good. Not quite as good as Apple's, but still very good. In 2021, they made $56 billion in free cash flow and they paid stock-based compensation of $6.1 billion. That's not bad. Again, this is a well-managed company that has a lot of discipline with their hiring, and they have control over their expenses. The huge majority of free cash flow is going back to the shareholder. Now, after Microsoft, we have Google, which has grown their workforce 57% since 2019. Google's a great company, but they already have a lot of employees, and they continually grow their headcount at a fast pace. I was shocked by how many employees they hired last quarter. It was almost 13000 They've grown their employee count 36% year over year. And you can see this show up in their free cash flow and stock-based compensation. What we see here is that the stock-based compensation for Google eats up a far bigger percentage of their free cash flow. It eats up around a third of it. So this isn't terrible for Google, but it is a bit concerning. Already you have a third of your free cash flows being eaten up by dilution for employees, and it's going up quarter after quarter, even as the cash flows start to decelerate. After Google, we have Meta, which hired 94% more employees since 2019. In 2019, Meta was paying around a billion dollars in stock-based compensation. And then the last couple of quarters, they're paying over $3 billion. So their employee expense, the amount of dilution this company's having to do, has tripled in three years. And this is undoubtedly hurting the returns for Meta. It's hurting shareholders. That's why the stock is up today on the report that they're firing employees. Finally, we can't leave out Amazon. They increased their employee count the most out of any of these companies. Last quarter, Amazon posted minus $5 billion in free cash flow and paid stock-based compensation worth $5.5 billion. So they have cash flows going out and they're diluting to pay employees. This again is undoubtedly hurting the returns of Amazon. This company has been decimated this year. It's down 47%. Probably won't improve until those metrics come more into alignment, until the free cash flow far exceeds the amount of stock-based compensation. All right, so what does all of this mean to the investor? Well, I think to the investor like you and me, what we're really looking for here are companies that exist to reward shareholders, not just insiders and executives. And it can be very easy to identify those type of companies. The first example I gave was Home Depot. We can pull up the chart here, and this company has growing free cash flows without growing expenses. It's very clear to see that this company rewards the shareholder. They pay dividends, they do share buybacks, they generate real profits, they don't carry excessive amounts of debt. This company is there to reward shareholders. It's not there to reward the insiders. There's a lot of other companies in my portfolio that I can say the same thing about. We can take a look at Texas Roadhouse here. This is another company that has far more cash flows than they pay their executives. In 2021, they generated $268 million in free cash flow and only paid $38 million in stock-based compensation. And in fact, once you look at a lot of companies, you realize this is a problem that's most apparent in technology companies. For example, if we look at companies like Pepsi, this company exists to reward the shareholders. $6.9 billion in free cash flow, only $300 million goes to dilution or SBC. We can look at Church & Dwight. This company generates a lot of free cash flow, almost a billion dollars, and the executives pay themselves $23 million, a fraction of the amount of cash flows they generate. And you can say the same thing about Estee Lauder, about Target, about Costco, about all of these companies. There's many companies in the market that exist to actually reward the shareholder, 
But as investors, we have to be careful. Frankly, there's a lot of companies out there that are structured in a way that only benefits the insiders. So I hope you're okay with me covering the subject. I realize it's not the most positive one, but I think it's one that investors should be aware of. Don't make the mistaken assumption that every company out there is just wanting to operate in the best way possible for the shareholder. There's many that don't make those decisions at all. They are self-serving companies wanting to reward the executives and the insiders, and they don't care if you lose a lot of money in the process as a shareholder. And we can seek out the shareholder-friendly companies and identify those ones as long-term investments. It's all in the fundamentals. All the data is there. You just have to look at it. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you in the next one.